crisis, elections, political scandals, and diplomatic victories. Do you want to be aware of the latest political news? We provide uncompromising analysis of critical global trends and international affairs. Every Tuesday from 10 to 12 on Mustar FM. Good morning, dear listeners, and welcome back to a new World Politics program. Today in the studio we are Antonella, Serena and Federica. Again, three Italians that are going to talk about a topic in English, right, girls? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and about politics. Yeah, as always. And I think we had so much fun doing the last one. I mean, fun in a kind of way because we know the topic was not an easy one. Yeah, but uh, it was very interesting to talk about desaparecidos together and I think uh, that uh, being three Italian that talk about desaparecido that is a topic that involved in some way Italy it was very interesting yeah and actually just to, to be a little off topic today I was reading an article while having breakfast and in this article it was said that you know Juan Perón the president of Argentina right? yes his name is really similar to some of our Sardinian names. It's a legend now, and it said that Juan Perón was actually a Sardinian immigrant who went to Argentina and changed his name What? to a Spanish-sounding name, and his real name was Giovanni Piras. And you can say that how close the two names are. So maybe a man from my highland was a president of Argentina. Who knows? Actually, I have to say that uh, even though it sounds kind of weird, it's believable because uh, as we say in that word politic, uh, Argentina is a second Italy. Yeah. Yeah, maybe that's why as Italians we feel so close to Argentina. Also because for example, I know a lot of people who now live there or who used to live there. Yeah, me too. And they are Italians. Yeah, and also Argentinian capital city which is Buenos Aires, yes. you know, which means like clean hair mm -hmm. or good hair. Legend says that the name originated from Holy Mary statue which is now positioned in a Cagliari church and the name of this statue is Madonna di Bonaria and Bonaria is actually good hair and it's like. translated in Spanish as Buenos Aires. And it's not the case that um, Sardinian language, it's uh, similar to Spanish, right? Yeah, exactly. So maybe we Sardinian people that for some times have been obsessed with independence, maybe we have an independent state on the other side of planet Earth and we don't know about it at all. Very interesting. You always have uh, some very interesting stories to tell and I think that uh, they entertain also our dear listeners. I hope for you, dear listeners, that you can enjoy our programs in general. And today's program is about uh, a very bloody violence and Antonella is going to introduce... Yes, as you said, Federica, this is a kind of a bloody topic and we are going to the other side of the world, opposite to Argentina and to us, actually, because we are going to talk about the genocide that is going on in Myanmar, a state that you may know also as Burma. And we're going to talk about the Rohingya genocide, And I use the term genocide uh, with uh, a purpose here, because uh, since this thing began, the term genocide was a controversial one, because at first it was used the term ethnic cleansing, even by the UN, Agency for Refugees, but then ethnic cleansing was too far a word to describe what is happening in Myanmar now. So a lot of other agencies decided that the right word to describe what is going on with these people 
it's actually genocide. And genocide, as you may know, is the thing that goes on when one people decides to annihilate another people. And I want to say annihilate as destroy and make disappear someone from the face of the earth. And yes. And you may know about this term, about uh, the Nazis and the extermination camps that yes. went on uh, during the Second World War. Of course, and I would say the story repeats itself and there are a lot of uh, genocides mm -hmm. actually that are forgotten. This one uh, is not that discussed, I would say, because uh, it's kind of controversial also for the reasons why there is uh, this revolution against uh, Rohingya that are minority of uh, Islam religion and they are persecuted by Buddhists and uh, by all the Myanmar state because they are said to be invaders. They are treated as illegal immigrants, uh, but we prepared for this topic and uh, we don't have the answer, of course, for this uh, civil war that is happening. We don't know whom is right, whom is wrong. We just know that this kind of violences should not happen in the third millennium. Yeah, but also because it's a long story. I mean, we are talking about something which belonged to the Britain colonization. Yeah. So it's something that is happening since 1948 when independence began. In Myanmar. Yeah. Yes. So it's a long story and it involves also... I mean, not only Asian part, but as you said, Federica, also something referred to nationalism. So there are many reasons around this problem. And the worst thing is that uh, all the organizations that uh, try to solve the situation, they couldn't actually do anything. And also because it's uh, prohibited to enter some cities of Myanmar in particular is impossible to enter to Mondo and Butindo and uh, even in Bangladesh where refugees where Rohingya refugees went in order to avoid violences that were happening against them that were perpetrated against them in 2015 so they were actually forced to leave the country in 2017 in Bangladesh Bangladesh, but still it's impossible to enter these regions, this part of the countries, because uh, some journalists say that uh, the mm -hmm. government and the army have a lot to hide and the violences are too cruel to be shown. And I want to follow on this of what Federica said because while preparing for this topic we all saw this documentary made by the Al Jazeera English television and a journalist, a female journalist, an Arabic speaking uh, female journalist uh, decided to go into Myanmar first to discover the situation that was going on with the Rohingya people and then she wanted, as you said, to enter the refugee camp both in Myanmar and Bangladesh, but she was denied access from both of these countries. In fact, uh, she underlined the problem that uh, organizations like UN and even European Union and Russia and uh, United States in this case cannot do anything because they don't have uh, any evidence of this uh, bloody violence. Uh, even though there are some videos there are some evidences actually and they are very cruel and it's better for you listeners not to watch to these images because they really are very cruel but since uh, it's not possible to enter these parts of uh, Myanmar and Bangladesh without the permission of uh, the government that it's impossible to get it's difficult for the organization to intervene in this case. 
Yes, a television troupe of Al Jazeera that succeeded in entering a camp in Bangladesh had to hide their cameras and the microphones to the police who were in the checkpoints before entering these camps because otherwise they would have been turned away. And they entered these camps and they found a situation that has been described as hopeful. Because as one journalist said of this troop, the situation in the Rohingya refugees camps, both in Myanmar and Bangladesh, are way worse than any other refugee camp in the world. And we, yeah. we know how many refugee camps there are in the world, especially in the Middle East and in the Palestinian territory. But I know that nowadays the problem is they have problem with drinking water and food and medicines. medicines, yes. So all the charities groups that are trying to take care of them have this problem and try to ask for help for these people. And they also try to collect, we can say, all the testimonies from the refugees and Mostly of them are by children or young girls who were raped and who assisted to destruction of their families. Yeah, you are right. And about health problem, some of these camps that are more similar to prisons than camps because they are with uh, barbed wire that uh, forms uh, these uh, fences. In these conditions, they live and they don't have uh, any citizenship, first of all, so they don't have the right of uh, health and they suffer, for example, from viruses, malaria and other diseases. And sometimes, uh, <coughs> since they don't have enough medicines and they don't have uh, any doctor a real doctor because there are some doctors but they don't have any certification or medical trainship since they don't have these uh, fundamental things they get even more ill yeah of course <laughs> so they are suffering a lot for a situation that in my opinion shouldn't exist uh, in the third millennium. I'm sorry if I repeat myself with this story, but come on. But you know what is also controversial in this story? In my opinion, the fact that at, at the head of this country, there is a woman who is a Nobel, Nobel Prize, Prize. recipient. Yeah. So we are talking about Aung San Suu Kyi, who is covering now a really difficult position because it seems that she is, uh, you know, between two fires, like the military, who even if they don't really have power like in parliament but actually they still control the country and of course there is also this crazy situation with Rohingya but it seems that she is taking part of the military and that's really strange for someone who is a Nobel Prize. I mean yeah. world is asking for her action in order to protect these minorities. The thing is that Myanmar has always been a military dictatorship since its independence in 1948. And Aung San Suu Kyi was the one that fought the military oppression in Myanmar for 20 years because she was captive in her own house for 20 years. And then when she was finally released from house arrest, she received the Nobel Prize for his fight against the military. And then she won the 2010 liberal elections that were held in Myanmar. But then situation went crazier from 2012 onwards. And I think, at least in my opinion, having read some reports, that Haun San Suu Kyi, even though, even if she wants to do something about the situation, the power of the military is still too strong in a place like Myanmar. And what's more, uh, the majority of people in Myanmar is of Buddhist religion. Sorry, she also is part yeah, of the majority. Exactly. Mm? Yeah. 
Yes, but uh, you know what? In in a way, I can understand her because uh, maybe she just he's a toy mm -hmm. on the top of a very high tower, and I'm sorry to use this strong uh, metaphor, but sometimes uh, it's like this. We know that in politics works like this that there are some figures that have actually no power. And in a way, I can understand her, but uh, in another way, she promises to solve this situation. And I think that uh, she is participating on hiding this situation. Yeah, because the problem is right this, because she say that talking about ethnical cleansing is too much. And also she told that uh, there is no war. There is no civil war or religion war. There is kind of division. This is not a division yeah. because Rohingya people, they are persecuted. So we don't have to pretend that nothing is happening in this part of the world. And I can say that it's a very forgotten and not discussed almost at all war. Because uh, you girls, how many times have you heard about this war? Yeah, the first time that I heard about this uh, Rohingya situation was actually between the years 2015 and 2017 because these were the years that saw the largest amount of refugees fleeing firstly Myanmar to Bangladesh and then in 2017 fleeing both Myanmar and Bangladesh to go to other southeastern Asian countries such as Thailand, for example, or Indonesia. But this uh, crisis of refugee actually started in 2012 and the problem of Rohingya people has been as long as two centuries. You said, well, this crisis, I mean, when the world the word started to talk about this, it was in 2012, as you said. But they had problems since 1982, when Myanmar government introduced citizenship law aimed at burying the Rohingya people from citizenship. As the government always say, they are not from this country. They are not from Myanmar. They come from Bangladesh. They want to be Bengalis people who want to conquer the two main cities of uh, Myanmar, which are Mangdu and Butindong. Yeah, you said well that in 1982 with the citizenship laws, the Rohingya people were denied the citizenship of Myanmar. Yeah, because actually when uh, British people left the country, they were allowed to have the Myanmar citizenship. They've they always been Myanmar citizens since the very beginning because the first time that Rohingya people had been seen in Myanmar was in 1856 when for the first time people from Bangladesh went into Myanmar to work. Yes, this is uh, actually the version of uh, Buddhist people. Yeah, exactly. That they came from Bangladesh in order to work after the British people left the country and then they stayed. So it's their fault because they wanted to occupy the country and uh, they didn't leave the country. So now they want to conquer all the country, you know. This is yeah. the version of Buddhist and it's actually the reason why there is this uh, civil bloody war. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They also minimize the problem and what word is telling about this genocide yeah. because they say that Rohingya themselves are burning their villages because they are searching for support from international groups to fight against the government, against the Buddhists. So it's really difficult to other countries, countries who want to help these people, to really understand it, to really have a communication, I think, with the government because they tell different stories. 
Yeah, and I wanted to ask you girls one thing. What do you think about the very opposite division about uh, these two versions? I mean, Buddhists say that they are not from Myanmar, they come from Bangladesh and they want to conquer the country. But uh, Rohingya people, they say that since old times they have been there and their relatives, uh, they come from there. What do you think about this very opposite division? Because uh, for me, it was struggling, you know, because in a way, I can understand Buddhist people that are afraid to lose their religion and their independence, if we want to call like this. Mm -hmm. In another way, I can understand Rohingya, that uh, even though they weren't there since uh, very old times, uh, But still, they are there since 1865. It's almost two centuries. Yeah, the thing is that the majority of the Rohingya people live in a small region in Myanmar called Rakhine region or Rakhine state. And the number of Rohingya people living there is no more than two million people. It depends on the statistics, you know, it's from 1 million to 2 million people, no more than that. And the total population of Myanmar was in 2017 census more than 53 million people, the majority of which are Buddhists. We have to say that of these Rohingya people, almost 90% are Muslims. The other 2% are of Hindu religion. They are not Buddhist. The thing that I want to underline here is this. How two million people of Muslim religion could conquer a 53 million Buddhist people and delete their millennial Buddhist history. I don't see how it will be possible. Yeah. yeah. This is a logical thought. Yeah, of course. Actually, in the meanwhile, I was listening to your question, Federica. I was wondering the same because we are talking about minority. And the problem is that, just to give you an answer to your question, I don't understand why it's so difficult just to live peacefully, trying to respect each other and trying just to respect the rules of the government but living people live their own lives with their belief. You know, about this, there is a kind of controversial thought because, for example, Myanmar people, they say that actually they lived with Bengalese people for a long time and they are not actually a problem. They underline that the problem are Rohingya people and they even say that uh, they invented this name that actually didn't exist. Yeah. They wanted to invent this name to hide the fact that they were Muslims and that they wanted to conquer the country with uh, Muslim religion and deleting the Buddhism from the country. So I think that the real problem is not about people, but uh, about religion again. Yeah, about this, saw an interview with a Buddhist monk and he said, we feel that they, the Rangers, are working for other countries' interests like the Bangladesh. There are 57 Islamic countries in the world. If the leaders of those countries accepted these people, there wouldn't be any problem in our country. I don't accept the Rohingya because they've never existed. So this monk says that the Rohingya people do not exist in the world. And that if we look at this from a political and administrative perspective is true because the Rohingya people have no citizenship, not from Myanmar, nor from Bangladesh. They are the thing that we called apolites yes. without citizenship. So in a way, this monk is it's telling the truth. But if we look at this situation from another perspective, we see two million people fleeing Myanmar, going to Bangladesh or to other countries. And we cannot say that these people do not exist because they do. Yeah, and also because they are people. So it doesn't matter if they exist like Rohingya or not. 
But actually, this is the topic of the moment for the world, I will say, not only for this part of the world, because we are witnessing these two problems between people and these two return to the past, if we can talk about past, because when you studied at school, you think that now you are in another era, really far from that beliefs. But actually, what is going on right now in the world is something that's really close to what happened in the past. And I'm not talking only about the Holocaust, the Jewish, because as you said, Federica, earlier, there were in history a lot, a lot of genocides. We can talk about aborigines from Australia or that ones from South America or North America as well. I mean, Armenian. Armenian. Genocide. Yes, a lot. We cannot finish. I mean, if we focus in everyone, because human beings were able to destroy identities mm -hmm. and populations. So it's scaring and we are witnessing also to what is going on in the border between Mexico and United States. So this is really something that should be a more discussed topic. But you know what is uh, very disturbing to me? As Antonella said, they actually don't exist, nor for Myanmar, nor for Bangladesh. Bangladesh yeah. So they don't have identity. And as you say, that human being can destroy identities of people. The way they are treated um, proves It's an evidence of this. They are not treated like human beings. Yeah. Women are raped and even more than one time in a row and even more than one person in a row. Antonella has a story about this. Yeah, unfortunately I have. I was wondering if telling this on the air or not, but... Maybe it's time to let the world know about these things. In 2012, when the first and most harsh violence spread in the Rakhine region, the houses of the Rohingya people were burned down. Even people were soaked in petrol and then lit up with matches. Uh, the houses that were not burned down by the Myanmar police or even by Rakhine people, because we have to say that firstly, when in 2012 the violence spread in the Rakhine region, not only the police and the military were involved in this violence, but also Rakhine people of Buddhist religion. And it is sad, but it uh, has not been proved yet, unfortunately, that some Rakhine men from a city called Sitwe, which is one of the biggest cities in the Rakhine region, were said to have been given knives and free food and then were put into a bus and driven to the villages of the Rohingya people as to kill Rohingya people as well. So they were paramilitary common people, I would say, helping out the military and the police in this violence. In one interview, that was made by Al Jazeera television crew in 2013. A woman said that she was hiding into her home, which has not burned down yet, and she was in the upper floor of her house. And then three men came into her house and beat her with something on the back of her head And from that moment on, she doesn't not remember anything. Her relatives take her and drove her to an hospital. And when she woke up, she found out that she was raped. But the most disturbing thing is that after some exam, the doctors discovered that this woman was raped by more than 20 men. This is disturbing. That's why I told to our dear listeners to pay attention to search for documentaries about this topic because you can find very disturbing images. Yes, I tell you once again, keep attention. I also have another story about this because there are a lot of witnesses of women that are raped by these army guys. One of uh, these uh, witnesses is about a woman. She was forced to leave Myanmar 
the camp of uh, Myanmar where she lived because as you said Antonella every evening these army people came and uh, abuse and rape women there and they did everything they wanted to do to these women and a certain moment there were shootings and people were killed This woman said that uh, she had to run away from that camp with her daughter, the youngest one, the youngest daughter that she has, because this man, they killed her two sons in front of her and she had to have this cold blood, as we say in Italy, to run away from them in order not to make them kill the last daughter that she had. She also said that she was uh, raped every evening and uh, another woman said that uh, she escaped from this camp because every night they came, they did whatever they want with her and she hid with her daughter three days in the forest and then she decided to cross the river to arrive to Bangladesh. It's true, there is also this river. The North River. Yeah, yeah. it's not yeah. so easy actually to cross also. So there is also these difficulties to reach yeah. the safety, I would say. Before going deeper into this topic, I would like to make something of a timeline here. Yes. As we said earlier, the problem with the Rohingya people started in 1982 when they were denied the Myanmar citizenship. But in 2008, the government actually tried to solve this problem. So they issued these so-called white cards, some identity cards that said that, okay, you can apply now for the Myanmar citizenship and you are allowed to participate in the 2010 elections. So in 2010, the Rohingya people voted in the election. But when in 2012, there were these violences, which we are going to talk about in a couple of minutes, the government decided that the Rohingya problem had to be solved in another way. So they said that these white cards would not be valid starting from 2015. So from 2015 onwards, the Rohingya people are again without any citizenship. And also the Rohingya people were told that if they want, they could have another document. But in this document, it was stated that they were not Rohingyas, nor people from Myanmar, that they were Bengali, a term that we used and that is used by Myanmar people to describe the Rohingyas. It's like a, some kind of a mockery. Discriminatory way yeah, to, to call, call them. them. Yeah, because it reminds every time Rohingya that they are from Bangladesh, as the Myanmar says, and not from Myanmar. But back to the 2012 violence, what happened just in a few minutes. It happened that on May the 28th of 2012, a Buddhist woman was raped and later found dead in a small village in the Rakhine state. Three Muslim men were accused of the crime and shortly after, on the 3rd of June, 10 Muslims were murdered in what appeared to be a revenge attack for this rape and murder of the 28th of May. Starting from the day, the violence spread all over the Rakhine state. On June the 8th of the same year, the Rakhine authorities prohibited the Friday prayer for the Muslims. They said to the people not to open the mosque and not to go to pray on Friday. Some people did not oblige the authorities and they went all to the mosque. And then they gathered in the city center and marched towards the Rakhine district of the city. Here they clashed with locals and with police and the police first fired into the air and then aimed at the crowd, killing one person and injuring a lot more. By 4 p.m. the same day, villages started to be set on fire, houses were burning into the ground and people were killed and their bodies were 
put into these huge mass graves without a funeral, without anything. During that night, men were detained by the police and women started to be raped. On June the 9th, the government decided to issue the state of emergency in the Rakhine state, but the violence didn't stop there. And starting from the day 9th and 10th of June of 2012, uh, Rohingya people started to flee Myanmar and go into Bangladesh. And there it started all the refugee crisis that we are talking about today, actually. Yes, uh, you made a very precise storyline about Rohingya refugees. And now it's still is alive, this uh, civil war between Myanmar people or better Buddhist people and Rohingya people. Even though the Rohingya people, as we say, they live in a very bad condition in camps in Myanmar. And uh, if they don't live in Myanmar, they even live in Bangladesh. So I just cannot understand why they have to keep on making war to them. In my opinion, as we said before, the two descriptions are one genocide and the other one ethnic cleansing. In both of these descriptions, the main and ultimate goal is to annihilate people. To annihilate someone, you either kill this someone or kill, not the existence, but the very idea of this someone. Yeah, but if you think about it, they are kind of hypocrite. Because if you remember that interview with the Buddhist monk, he said they have 57 countries to live, you know. They are not letting them live in Bangladesh. They are not letting them live in, in Myanmar. You're right. And Bangladesh also says that those people are not Bengalis because they are not from Bangladesh. For them, they are from Myanmar, while from Myanmar, they are from Bangladesh. But neither one of these countries accept these people. Yeah, and I don't think that they actually want to be part of Bangladesh. Yeah. They don't feel like they are part of Bangladesh and I can understand them because uh, at least since... 1856 they are there if not even earlier than that time we don't know the truth but we know that come on they are there since the very beginning the very beginning i think that happened when your nationality and your religion is more important than your nature like you are a human being first of all and then you are Bengali, you are Italian, you are German, and just to make examples. But in this moment, I think it's more important your religion, which is something really crazy. Actually, I think religion sometimes is just an excuse. An excuse, because what is really important to these people is the control and the power on the country. On the lands. Yes, of course. As Buddhist monks say, they are actually worried that uh, these people, Rohingya people, they take control of the two main cities of Myanmar. They are not actually worried about the religion because, uh, as we said before, as Antonella make us notice, come on, they are one or two million people out of 53 million people. So how do you think that they can rule all the Buddhists that have been there for centuries and centuries? Okay, now I'm going a little off topic here, or at least off continent. I think we are experiencing the same thing in Europe as well in the past, let's say, five to six years, because people fleeing their countries from the African continent or from the Middle East, Syria or Iraq or Afghanistan or Pakistan, they are seen by some European governments as agents of another religion who want to conquer 
our Christian roots nation. I think this is the craziest thing I've heard in the last years. Because if you ask any average Italian, how many people do you think are here immigrated from other countries? This average Italian man will say to you, I think there are 30% of immigrants in Italy. We are three Italians now. Okay? If that percentage were true, one of us would be an immigrant. The real percentage of immigrants in Italy is 6 to 8%. So 8 people out of 100 are immigrants from another country. And this will not mean that these people were of Muslim religion because... Of Most of the people that are coming to Europe by boat from Libya or from Tunisia are Christians. I want to say that problem, at least in Italy, with these statistics is the perception of this amount of people. And also because we have maybe wrong news about this. Fake news. Fake yeah. news. Yeah. I think in the, we can say slightly the same thing for Myanmar. Because if we have 2 million Rohingya people out of more than 53 million Myanmar people, come on, it doesn't hold that. Yeah, but also with these absurd theories about they are not from Myanmar, they have to go to Bangladesh because they come from there and they occupied our country This is absurd to me because how can you say that population doesn't come from your country if it stayed there for centuries? How can you say that? This is disturbing actually and it reminds me of an interview I watched to Primo Levi who is a survivor of Auschwitz. Because he said that at the beginning, when Jewish people arrived, not only Jewish, because we have to remind that they were not only Jewish, but also Rome people, homosexual and other minorities. So when these people arrived in the camps, German soldiers removed their name, their identities, their property. They became like numbers. And that was the first step to destroy a human being because when you are without identity your identity as your name so without your name without your surname without your nationality you are no one in the world it's like you don't exist so this is the first step to try to make this first violence this is to annihilate exactly yeah. and then you can arrive to the physical violence But in my opinion, you don't have to actually kill someone to annihilate him. You just deprive him of his name, of his property. This person does not exist exactly. anymore. And you perpetrate a lot of violences, uh, convincing this kind of people that they value nothing. So this yeah. is the best way, as you said, Sarah, to annihilate a person and to make this person feel nobody. I think that... They hope that a certain moment they will give up by themselves because they will not be able to stand these violences anymore. Yeah, I think you're perfectly right. And we have to, as we were saying before, we have to think also that these camps, these refugee camps where they live, they are the biggest ones in the whole world. And they are denied the simplest things like food and water and medical assistance. And also, if the government, both in Bangladesh and in Myanmar, keep on restricting the access to these camps, it might be possible that these camps continue to grow larger and larger and more people will flee there without anyone knowing. And if no television crew or journalists or even you and organizations will be allowed to enter these camps, our memory of this camp will disappear. And with the memory of this of camp course. will disappear also the memory of these people and of this crisis. And that's, I think, that the thing that the Myanmar government wants, at least now. 
I think that they are doing everything in order not to have any intervention in this civil war because, I mean, it's impossible to enter these parts of the country. And if you think about it, why don't you let people to see these Rohingya people if you don't admit that there is uh, annihilation against them, that violences are perpetrated against them? And that's the thing, actually, because of over 200 interviews of Rohingya people that the UN made in 2017, all of those 200 interviews were showing the world that violences happened and also abuses and human rights were denied to these people. But if we don't have more access to these people, those yeah. allegations won't be proven. So the Myanmar government or the people responsible of this genocide won't actually be convicted for these crimes. And also in June of 2017, the UN said that it would send a fact-finder committee in Myanmar in this refugee camp. But the government of Myanmar said that it would deny entry to officials taking part in the UN investigations. And the Myanmar, being a sovereign state, can do this, can deny a UN committee from entering the country. Yeah, and the disturbing thing is that while I was watching to this documentary that explains uh, very well the situation of Rohingya people, they talk about alleged violences, you know, not sure because they don't have proofs. They don't have evidences of these violences because till you are not there, you cannot prove. It's kind of disturbing because you know that there are these violences that they are are perpetrated but you cannot prove and it's the same thing that happened during the second world war with nazis camps in germany and in poland because no one ever saw those camps until the ussr troops opened the gates of Auschwitz, and the whole world knew about this annihilation of people in internment camps and it's the same thing that's happening here. If no one has proofs, then this thing doesn't exist. But can you imagine, girls, how many things that we don't know about this situation are existing nowadays? Because now we know about women that are raped, kids that are killed, husbands that are killed, people that escape the country and violences that are perpetrated to these people. But how many things are hidden? This question made me think about some years ago when I was at school, uh, when we used to study the genocide of Jewish. I was so young, we studied what happened during that time since secondary school. But you really understand when you are older, of course. You understand the meaning, yeah. what's really happening and uh, how dramatic was the situation. So I was in that period and I was starting to understand how huge was this problem. I was also reading Primo Levi testimony of what happened in uh, Auschwitz and I was really shocked. And I asked my teacher why no one did anything against this i mean why people not jewish people who were witnesses to this deportation did nothing and she gave me an answer and now every day kind of every day in this world i think to this answer because at the beginning i didn't like this answer but she was right she told me you know how many uh, situations like that were happening in the world and you now have the opportunity to know it by internet, by televisions, but you cannot do anything. You are here and they are so far. And actually, it's something really disturbing if you think about it. I totally agree. And that's why I was kind of critical with uh, Aung San Suu Kyi, because uh, she's a Nobel Prize. She won the elections. She has the power, even though she is a toy of uh, this uh, army power. I think that uh, actually, since you won the election, you have the power to change the situation or at least to spread the situation that is happening in Myanmar because 
you won the Nobel Prize and you are forced to do something for your people because these are your people. But maybe who knows she is alone in her country or maybe she is afraid to be thrown out by but the you military. Know, but you know, Sarah, when you have this kind of roles, uh, you risk actually. Yeah, of course. But uh, I mean, I am in this situation. I don't know. In a hand, I can understand. In a her. hand, I can understand as well as I told before. But uh, I mean, it's so huge, the violence. Yeah that they are suffering for that you cannot stay with uh, the hand in your hand doing basically nothing and even denying that these violences exist because you are talking about division you are talking about misunderstandings and these are not misunderstandings this is a civil war the biggest one here now someone thinks that maybe she wants to, you know, to maintain a quietity among military. She doesn't want to push more motivation to make more violence, but these are also... More than this? These are also only doubts because United Nations and other charities, groups and international communities are asking are wondering why she's doing nothing so and they are trying to give answers to this question because actually yes it's something really controversial and the problem as you said before is if no one can make a huge proof of what is happening in that camps, the world cannot intervene in this. So actually the problem is how to make a communication between what is happening there and the world, a clear yeah. one, I mean. Yeah, I totally agree with the, the thing you two said. I wanted also to add that being this a civil war, the one part and the other in this civil war, they have completely different visions of what's happening. The range said that they fled their home because their homes were burned down by the Rakhine people. The Rakhine people and the Buddhist monks said when the Rohingya people fled, they burned their own houses so that the Rakhine people couldn't uh, take anything from their houses. So you see, there is this fact that the houses are burning down, but the two parts have different visions about what happened. And that's why I think it's difficult for us looking for at the situation from the outside to discern which one of the true vision is the true one. As I told at the very beginning, it's a very controversial topic because we don't know the truth. Because as you say, there are two very different opinions and two very different facts. Rohingya people, they say that they were born in Myanmar. Buddhist people still say that they are illegal immigrants. The thing is, put apart these uh, theories, put apart their opinions, focus on the violences. You, as a powerful person, do you really think that you cannot stop these violences with some laws? You shouldn't allow in your country to perpetrate violences. That's what I mean. Yeah. I don't say that uh, one is right and the other one is wrong. Absolutely, because we don't know the truth. But about the violence, what are you doing, actually? She's doing nothing, as the UN said. And this leads me off what you said earlier, Serena, because you said that when you asked your professor about why nobody from the outside did anything about this, and she responded, I think, do you know how many things are happening right now that we do not nothing about? And I think this can be led to what Dante wrote in his Inferno, because he put the indolence as one of the sins that you have to commit in order to be put in hell. And I think is that what's happening now in uh, Myanmar with uh, Aung San Suu Kyi. She prefers to do nothing instead of doing something that could, in one hand, benefit the Rohingya people and, on the other hand, destroy her political career both with the military and the people who voted her. So she decides to do nothing. I got your point. And in a way... I understand 
other. But still, you won the Nobel Prize and you are there because uh, you actually want to change the situation. How can you be the same as previous one? Because the military still holds the power. Yeah. Until the military will be uh, destroyed or put apart, she won't do anything to solve this situation. Yeah, I know it's a, it's a bad thing because she is a Nobel Prize recipient. Yeah. And she won for this reason, actually, because she fought against the, the military. Army. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to justify, as I said before, it's really difficult to have a position in order to understand her behavior in this case. But I think that in every awful situation like this you that live so far from that reality you cannot really understand what is going on there I cannot believe that she doesn't want to take care of these people I hope that the problem is that the army pressed her in some way and so she is alone I cannot understand how it's possible for a Nobel Prize like her acclaimed by the world can do something like this so mine is a hope I hope so as well but uh, I don't want to be the cynic of the situation every time but I think that it's more like Antonella said she's afraid to lose her power she's afraid to be oppressed by army she is afraid of uh, the fragile situation in Myanmar so it's better doing nothing in this case also I think that the main reason is that these are two completely different religions. As we have seen in the Middle East, in the war between Palestine and Israel, it doesn't matter how hard you try to solve a situation, a territorial dispute. Put this as you want to put it. But the main reason here is that there is Islam in one hand and Buddhism in the other hand. And as history has taught us during not only centuries but millennium also, you cannot solve a dispute between religion because it's not about politics or morale. It's about two different kinds of beliefs. If you want, they can coexist. But if there is only one people that believe that these two things cannot go along together, then you can't solve it in any way. Uh, the most uh, scaring thing is the all the words that I know they were burned for religion and we are talking about something that you cannot prove and also you know some time ago we recorded the point of view about satanism we talked about the fact that religion shouldn't intervene in politics and in the countries as well but as far as I know religion always put the nose in countries problems and instead of solving them put some gasoline on the fire and uh, it was always a huge fire now during this program with this topic i think we are thinking a lot about all the other situation in the world which are worrying more or less the same many many things like this are happening in the world what we can do against something like this actually in a material way we cannot do anything but i think what is important and that's something really current is that we should keep our memories really strongly in our minds you know we tend to forget the story and that's why his story repeat herself and that's something that is happening for example in Italy in the civilized country as we know in Europe I can say your face and dear listener it was uh, cynic and sarcastic of course yeah exactly <laughs> so what we can do is to keep strongly our memories and don't take for granted our freedom because it's not granted and since we have this freedom for example the important the very important freedom to vote try to vote for someone who don't talk about differences between people try and find me someone who doesn't 
speak about differences between people. I don't know, maybe someone still exists. It's I know that it's really difficult, but we can only do something like this because the risk is to deliver a really bad, a really sad, I would say, word to our sons, if we can have sons, because I don't know if I want to give birth to other human beings in this world, actually. You know that... Uh About this, recently, the strikes in Russia and in Moscow, our colleague Sasha, she told me some of her friends, they, they asked her, why don't you have a family? Why don't you have a, a child? And she answered, should I give the birth to a child here in Russia where people go to the streets and they risk their life uh, doing anything because uh, we know that people were beaten by policemen just random people old people people in bicycles so yeah. i can understand her yeah and me too a few weeks ago in italy they passed the law security decree number two which allows police to detain and arrest people who are trying to help other people so if you see someone drowning in the sea and this someone happens to be uh, trying to escape his country because his country is full of war famine and whatever and he wants a better life for him or for his family if you're found helping this this someone this someone will be just left in the sea drowning and you will be put in prison because you're aiding illegal immigration so the main thing now seems to be not humanity but inhumanity i don't know how else to explain it we are looking at this history as you said federica repeating herself more and more and more after the years and uh, you said serena that you want people to vote for someone who doesn't speak about differences but unity love with each other but i think that this someone if he or she exists it cannot actually be elected anywhere because people are fed with this fake news and fake facts by the same politician they have elected and they cannot distinguish between what is true and what is false and they trust the people whom they elected because the power of propaganda is very strong and i think that uh, people are brainwashed by television unfortunately i have to say that uh, even young people can vote for party that uh, promises something that is not achievable but most of the people we have to say that uh, they are kind of old people that's another point and maybe another answer to the main question i asked before what we can do and it's about education and to push people to educate themselves but it's not possible Why? Because uh, everyone has the choice. The problem is that people are lazy, first of all. And second, people are brainwashed. These are the main reasons. And also because our information is not clear, is not uh, true. I agree uh, totally. Of course, I live in this world uh, and I'm Italian, so I know what are you talking about. But we should also read not only Italian newspaper. We should go behind the borders in this case. Maybe because I have this But you know, confidence Sarah. in human being. <laughs> But you know, Sarah, you know that you have to do like this. And I'm pretty sure that people know that they have to do like this. They, tr they have to try to find other point of view in order to have better community, you know. But you cannot teach something like this because uh, you live in the 21st century. You have internet that is more powerful than Salvini and then Aung San Suu Kyi. But if you don't do it, if you don't go deeper, then it's your choice. On this topic of propaganda, we actually made a war politics a few weeks ago and And Sonia said that even in Russian history books, they turned the history on their favor, saying that, for example, Poland was not invaded by Russians, but Poland was saved by Russians. So you know how we can twist history. Yeah, in Russia, they are very, I would say, ridiculous because uh, I discovered some stuff 
thanks to Sasha and I couldn't actually believe that they really said something like this but I think we are going on the same direction in Italy. yeah uh, say I s- looking at these few past weeks things like for example our Minister for Internal Affairs just doing interviews on on the beach while singing the national anthem with stripper on the beach and then saying that journalists are are spreading fake news about him and you know maybe we are going a bit off topic here but the thing is that we are trying to talk about true and real facts and if we don't go deeper as you said Federica trying to get information from different sources we cannot find true facts or at least the facts that go near the truth and so if we don't do that we will stay with the facts that political propaganda and going back to the Rohingya people that Myanmar and Bangladesh governments say to us if we don't go deeper we stay on those information alone and we will forget about what's happening to these people to this minority that's why I want to have that confidence I said before to the human being because otherwise let's extinguish ourselves and let's conquer another planet why not yes I mean just uh, just an ironic line in this really dramatic discussion today. We live actually in a really difficult world and at the end of this program of today we just realized more than we know before. I am actually always thankful to this job. I really love this job because it helps me to find uh, a lot of information that maybe I wouldn't find because sometimes as we said propaganda can be very strong and if nobody Nobody tells you about the wars that are going on now. Maybe you wouldn't know. I'm pretty sure that most of uh, the people who listen to us today, they didn't know about this war because it's silent. If you want to know more about this topic, Federica warned you at the very beginning of this program, you can go and watch some documentaries that Al Jazeera English made a few years ago about the Rohingya people, just go and watch them. You can find them on YouTube or even on Al Jazeera channel on the internet. But be advised that some of the images you will see in those documentaries are really strong and we are not used to. And I hope that in the future years we won't see any of those images again. I just wanted to say the title of the documentary we are talking about, The Rohingya Silent Abuse. And the other one is is Myanmar the hidden genocide so if you want just go on YouTube and watch them now it's time to conclude our world politic program we give you the appointment as usual for next Tuesday always from 10 to 12 on Mustafa FM 89.6 we greet you and we wish you good ending of summer bye bye from Federica see you next time Antonella bye from Serena Crisis, elections, political scandals, and diplomatic victories. Do you want to be aware of the latest political news? We provide uncompromising analysis of critical global trends and international affairs. Every Tuesday from 10 to 12 on Musar FM.